all things well. And I say amen to that tonight. Take your Bibles, find Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter number 7, y'all know where I'm going, uh, Matthew chapter 7, you probably know it by now, but uh, we'll see what we can learn tonight. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, Tonight is week number four that we have been looking at cults and false religions. And after introducing the series, we looked at the similarities that each um, cult and false religion have. And then last week, we looked at the nature of false teachers or false prophets. And tonight, we're going to look at uh, something else. And we're, we're going to get to this point where, um, <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll start breaking down um, each individual. I've got several lessons I'm planning on doing on uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Mormonism and uh, uh, Latter-day Saints and um, uh, let's see what else the Roman Catholic Church and several others Unification Church and things like that but I'm trying to lay groundwork before we get there and uh, the Lord just keeps bringing other things up in my mind uh, to go through and so tonight we're gonna uh, we're gonna do uh, some more learning here before we get into the each individual uh, cult, and I do call them cults. It's funny today, as I was studying, I found a um, I found an article from. Um, um, anyways, I found an article from Mormons on what to do if you're trapped in a cult, and uh, I thought, boy, isn't that ironic? Uh, but uh, anyways. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna look here, and I, I kind of I got into this as a way of introduction, and and you know we shouldn't be surprised that there's so many false religions. We shouldn't be surprised that there's so many cults in our day. We shouldn't be surprised at any of this uh, because the Bible's clear on it. Matthew twenty four twenty four says, "For there shall rise arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show and and get a load of this, and shall show great signs and wonders." And and uh, so uh, the Lord Jesus is warning us there and telling us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, this is where we were at last Wednesday, looking at the nature of false uh, teachers or false prophets. Uh, the Bible says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction." And then in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we have these words in verse number 13, 14, and 15. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, and basically no marvel just simply means don't be surprised. It's no surprise. It says, uh, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So it shouldn't surprise us because Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. We shouldn't be surprised at all that there are people that are transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. You know, uh, they're, just, uh, they're just acting like their father. You know what I mean? That's, that's what we've got in that verse. And, and 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen says, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Now, you know, um, 
And that goes back to Matthew 7 where uh, Jesus tells us to, uh, to beware of these false prophets. And then he says in verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. How are we going to detect who's real and who's not? And you know, really, when I read those verses in 2 Corinthians, when I read uh, those verses in Matthew 7, uh, one thing comes to my mind, and, and you're going to understand what I mean here. It's almost like you can't believe anything anymore. Uh, you know, the old saying is don't, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. And that's where we're at. Now, we, have, we are in a day and age where everything is manipulated, everything that you see, all of the news that you hear. Uh, I mean, everything is manipulated somehow, some way. And uh, so we, we see how these, and, and I, I think that's the most dangerous part of a false teacher or a false prophet is that um, they're right on some things. There's always a grain of truth, it seems, in what they believe. But then they go off in left field somewhere. And they get out of the Bible. And we're going to see that later on in the message tonight. I've got an example of that. But, uh, but anyways, that's the problem. And I, I, I'll never forget what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said that discernment is not knowing uh, right from wrong. It's knowing right from almost right. And y'all, it doesn't matter if uh, we're, we're talking about a, a mega church pastor of our day or we're talking about a cult leader in our day. I, I'm telling you, everything is moving. And, and some of these books that I'm reading, it, it is amazing to me. And I've sat up here and I've preached on false teachers and I've preached on how they're affecting uh, the church today. You know, it's no longer just, uh, it's no longer just your Mormons. It's, not, it's no longer just, uh, you know, Jonestown and things like that. Like that cults, I mean, we, we are turning into a cultic society. Uh, there's never been more of a, uh, it's like, um, well, it's interesting. I'll just give you an example, and I've never had a high, uh, a high view of the Dove Awards anyways, uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's all a show, just like uh, uh, National Quartet Convention and everything else. Anyways, I'm going to go on from there. Uh, but it's a business. Music is a business. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's secular music or whether it's Christian music or whether it's gospel music or what it is. It is a money-making business. All right? And uh, I, this, past, uh, this past month, I think it was October, uh, they had the Dove Awards, and there was a band there that, that performed a song, and uh, they had a secular artist join them on that song, and uh, she doesn't profess Jesus. She doesn't profess anything. She, she uh, I mean, well, she may. I, she's, she certainly doesn't live like it, and uh, she doesn't call herself a Christian. Uh, she doesn't call herself a gospel artist. She doesn't call herself, uh, you know, an advocate for the Bible or anything like that. As a matter of fact, she's an advocate for a lot of the same things that our world is, uh, you know, showing her support at different um, LGBTQ, um, IA, whatever all of that is. I can't keep up with it anymore. Uh, parades and things like that. And so here we are at the Dove Awards and she's right in the middle of this band. And, and uh, the guys that were in this band, they tweeted off a picture. Uh, and here's the way that they talk. They said that their performance, or she brought a transcendental, ethereal atmosphere 
to the to their performance. And uh, a brother that I know, he uh, he called everything out on it on YouTube. He said he said when you hear people start talking like that, that is not the language of Christians. That is the language of the new age. And he's exactly right. That, that, is, that is not language that Christians have. But yet they're at the Dove Awards and they're quoting Bible verses and they're doing all this and doing all of that in the name of Christianity. And yet, uh, I'll just be honest, God's not within a million miles of the mess. And so that's where we're at in our society. It's not just, uh, you know, a lot of times when you think of cults, you think of Jim Jones and you think of Heaven's Gate and you think of those things or maybe Charlie Manson. But, hey, we got a lot going on that fits the criteria of a cult. And so uh, the Bible is clear that there's a false Jesus. It's clear that there's a false spirit. It's clear that there's a false gospel. We need to be aware of the things that people are believing in our day. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5.11 tells us this, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now that word reprove in that verse means this, to convict, to rebuke, to expose. And so that's why I'm doing this series. And uh, that's, that's the whole reason behind this. And, and uh, I mentioned last week that it's estimated that there are as many as 30 million people actively participating in a cult or some, uh, some uh, form of the occult in the United States. There's an estimated 5,000 cults worldwide with an estimated 150 million people involved in them. Now, something very interesting I came across in studying this subject is that statistically, there is a significant percentage of cultists that get this, formerly, formerly attended a Christian church. According to one organization that helps former cultists overcome the harmful effects of, of their experience, some 25% formerly attended evangelical or fundamental churches. And more than 40% of them had backgrounds in the large, more liberal Protestant denominations. That's mind-blowing. And so these facts like this, without getting all the way into the details on that, because I'm going in a different direction tonight, that fact has, has led some experts in the field to say things like this, and I quote, the increase in cult membership is a direct failure or a direct result of a failure on the part of the church. And then I found another person that said cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Now, obviously, I don't believe that all the blame falls on the true church. And there are details surrounding those, those claims and different things that, that I don't have time to get into. But when I was studying this and I was reading some of these conclusions from these experts, it did make me think, well, we can do more than what we're doing. We, we, can, we can do more. And, and, and so when I got to thinking about that, as I was looking into some of the lessons that we're going to take a look at in the coming weeks concerning specific beliefs and certain practices and how uh, these, these religions and cults do, I began seeing some lessons that we as the church can actually learn from. 
And perhaps if we would be more like some of these false religions and cults and the things I'm going to talk about tonight, we may not be losing so many people to them. And so uh, what I want to do is I, I want to give you some lessons that we can take away from the cults tonight. Let me give you the first one here. We're just going to go down through these, and I, I don't know how long I'll be. I may not be very long. Uh, we closed our house today. Hallelujah. And it took longer than we expected. I walked into that attorney office, and he pulled out a file that was that thick. And he said, I have never had a file like this since I've been here. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I did not know that. <laughs> and I said, you probably should have charged more. And he started laughing. He said, well, I definitely lost money. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, so I said all that to say I wasn't able to uh, uh, gather my thoughts together today like I normally do quite as well or spend as much time that I normally do. But praise God, we closed on the house. We finally got this past us. So hallelujah. Thankful for answered prayers. Let me give you some lessons that we can take away from the cults. Here's number one. The importance of having definite convictions about matters of faith. Here's what I mean by that. Cults by definition are characterized by a fervent commitment to a set of beliefs, often to the point of exclusivity and isolation. You talk to someone in a cult, and they know exactly what they believe. And they are convinced 110% that they're right about it. When's the last time you found a Christian like that? While their beliefs may be misguided the intensity of their conviction serves as a reminder for the church to reflect on the depth of its own faith. I'm telling you, I start studying cults, I've been deeply convicted. It's amazing how much people will fight for a lie. And then you look at yourself and you think, well, how hard are you fighting for the truth? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is within you, that is in you with meekness and fear. As the church, we need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. And we need to be able to communicate that to the outside world. Here's another thing I thought of. Here's another important thing we can learn from. The importance of knowing the Scriptures. The importance of knowing the Scriptures. See, Jehovah's Witnesses, they proclaim the Bible as, quote, on their website, God's inspired message to humans. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I, I would agree that that's, that that's what the Bible is. It's God's message to us. They faithfully study their own version of Scripture. They have their own Bible version. It's called the New World Translation. And uh, they are armed with memory verses and Bible passages to support their beliefs. And uh, they know, they know it like the back of their hand when they're standing at your door, ringing your doorbell. They know what they're going to say. And their translation of the Bible weaves many teachings of their leadership into the text of the Bible. Let me give you an example. John chapter 1, verse number 1 in the New World Translation says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was a God. Now this is what's interesting about it. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, 
And the Word, capital W, was with God, capital G. And the Word, capital W, was a God, lowercase g. Now that is reprehensible. It's reprehensible. They had, but let, me, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about Jehovah's Witnesses. They had to do that because that's the only way they can support their own teaching. And, and so they don't believe that Jesus is God. So, of course, they would change the parts concerning Jesus and God being one to something else. In this case, he was a God, a lowercase g. He was not the same as God Almighty. And we've talked about that a little bit. But even so, though, they are well schooled in taking verse upon verse out of context and showing you why they believe what they believe. And you know what you need to do when you talk to one of them? You need to know the Bible. You need to know Scripture. You need to look at them and say, why is your translation the only one that does not show Jesus as deity? You ever thought about that? I'm not up for Bible versions. I, I'm, I'm a King James only uh, pastor and preacher, and y'all know that. We're a King James only church. But I know what their version of the Bible says. I can look at them and say, look, Pick up 600 versions of the Bible. And why is yours the only one that doesn't say the word was God? As a matter of fact, when it goes on down to verse number 14, it does the same thing. It says the word was made flesh as a God is what it says. Lowercase g again. It's really interesting. In any case, here's the thing. Mormons... Let me give you this. Mormons believe the King James Version of the Bible. Here's what they say about the King James Version of the Bible. It says it's true insofar as it is translated correctly. You know what that does? It opens the door for them to say it has been corrupted and it requires the Book of Mormon written by Joseph Smith to smooth out the rough edges of the King James Version. That's what you'll find them toting. If they come to your door, they're going to have a King James Bible just like you got in front of you. See, they think it's corrupted, though. It's been corrupted down through the years. And they have to use their Mormon Bible in order to correct it. Uh, my Bible says all, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. My Bible says it's infallible. It's inerrant. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God that we have in our hands. It doesn't need an ex. Uh, what I read you uh, last week, no, no portion of Scripture is given by private interpretation. It was written as men were moved by the Holy Ghost. In any case, though, it's vital for Christians to know what the Bible really says, particularly with respect of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the personhood and deity of the Holy Spirit. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and other core doctrines. You need to know what the Bible says about it. You need to know where to go in the Bible to show somebody that. And so, if you want Bible for what I just said, well, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't rightly divide the Bible, which is the word of truth, if you don't study 
And somebody's asked the question, well, preacher, how much studying is enough? And I say, well, how much studying do you think you need to do to show yourself approved unto God? Simple answer to that question is, it's never enough. Yeah. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Let me tell you something, folks. If you'll study the Word of God, if you'll study the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of God, you will not be ashamed of it. You won't stand in front, in front of somebody and stutter out different things and, and say, well, well I'm, not, I'm not sure where that's at, but I know it's in here somewhere. Hey, get in it and study it. You know what happens when you get in the Word of God? The Word of God gets in you. You be out witnessing to somebody or talking to somebody, you'll remember things you didn't even know you memorized. It happens to me all the time. It happens to me all the time. Most of the time it happens right here. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit helps. 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, and 17 says this, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He's given us everything that we need. It's all right here. So, there's another lesson we need to learn. They're going to know it. They're going to know theirs. You need to know the truth. Here's another one that we can learn from them. We can learn from their zeal for witnessing. Oh, man. I didn't know this was going to be so mean. I just, I was just jotting down some stuff here. The zeal for witnessing. See, the converts show that witnessing works even for the cults. These cults not only stand behind their convictions, but listen to me tonight, they put feet to them. Yeah. At the end of 2022, there was an estimated, or it was estimated that there are nearly 91,000 Mormon missionaries carrying the message of Joseph Smith around the world at their own expense or the expense of their families. Meanwhile, at the end of 2022, Jehovah's Witnesses boasted 8.5 million publishers in 240 countries. That's what they call their missionaries, their publishers. Now, they may be faulted for their false teachings, but certainly not for their faithfulness to them. Yeah, Anthony Hokema wrote in the book, The Four Major Cults, he said, it would appear that the cults are generally pursuing a much more diligent and systematic program of witnessing both at home and abroad than are the churches. My, oh my. How about this? They all have a strong sense of urgency. We can learn something from that. Cults believe witnessing must be done immediately. They believe their witnessing must be done urgently because they all believe the end of the world is at hand. And one way or the, not, uh, one way or the other, their time is limited. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they believe that the battle of Armageddon is just around the corner. And since all who die in this battle will be annihilated, never to be raised from the dead, it is imperative for them to spread, quote, their truth while there is yet time. Now, guess what? I believe the battle of Armageddon's right around the corner too. I do. But according to the Bible, the church is going to be raptured away before Armageddon happens. 
even before the tribulation begins. And here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing. When it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that there are only going to be 144,000 that are saved at the end of everything. And they believe that maybe they'll get picked as one of those 144,000 if they just do what they're told to do. Work harder. Have more converts. Give out more publications. Maybe they too. Now that's amazing, isn't it? There's 8.5 million of them as of 2022. 8.5 million. They only believe 144,000 are going to heaven. And they believe that all of those have already been picked out except for around 9,500 from what I've read today. So you've got 8.5 million people working hard as they can to get into a number of 9,000 or 9,500 before the time is up. Now see, that's, where, that's what I'm talking about while I go in the introduction. I believe the end of the world is at hand. I believe Armageddon's right around the corner. I believe the second coming of Jesus is, I mean, it's, it could happen any time. That's a whole lot more than 144,000 going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm not working to get to heaven. Work's already been done. Amen. Jesus did that. I'm not going to heaven. I'm not trying to go to heaven based on my own good works. I'm not trying to go to heaven. I'm not, I'm not sitting here going, well, I'm going to pass out more tracks. That's the only way I'm going to maybe get into heaven. And maybe I can just get into one of these slots that are left. No, honey, that ain't how it works. Jesus has already paid for my sin. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has promised me a home in heaven. And Jesus has taken me home one of these days. But see, it's hard to believe all that when you don't believe Jesus is God. You see, I like what Vance Havner used to say. He said, even an old broken clock is right twice a day. And that's what you find. A lot of these religions, a lot of these cults. Hmm. No matter how wrong they can be about the end times, you can't fault them for their sincerity or their sense of urgency. It's something we need tonight. It's something we can learn from. Let me give you another. There's something else we can learn from. The large role taken by the followers or the congregation. The large role taken by the followers or the congregation. Let me, let me explain. Mormons claim to have no clergy, but every male above the age of 20 may hold either the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. And they send out tens of thousands of young people every year on two-year missions. Men and women in local congregations engaged in so-called temple work, such as baptism for the dead, enabling those who have preceded them in death to have an opportunity for salvation. For Jehovah's Witnesses, a body of elders supervises each congregation, and every week people of all ages venture into neighborhoods or in remote places to declare Jehovah's message. And here's what that all looks like to me. That empowerment of the congregation is a stark contrast to what you see in the Christian churches. In the Christian churches, they generally leave the work of disciple-making to the pastor. 
Amen. Or oh me. It's one or the other. They leave it all up to the pastor. Let me just tell you something, church. Jesus gave the great commission to all of his followers, not just the pastor. Uh, that command I read to you while ago, study to show thyself, that wasn't just to the pastor. It's to every one of us who's following Jesus. And that goes into my next thing. The definite techniques for witnessing. Jehovah's Witnesses have weekly training sessions to teach their methods of witnessing. They have a guidebook in which their followers rigorously or vigorously follow. They deal with methods of study, methods of speaking, meeting objections, distributing of literature, conducting Bible studies, organizing new congregations. It is very much a mechanical business. And their business is good. They know what they're doing. Think about this. They also have a willingness to endure ridicule. That's an interesting one. Cultists are not worried about being thought of as weird. It doesn't bother them whatsoever that they aren't like everyone else around them. Mormons aren't bothered because they have chosen to eat certain foods. They're not worried about their social standing. Meanwhile, it seems in our day that the church is concerned with how close can we get to being just like the world, but still be saved. Yeah. I heard a man teaching a load of heresy this past week. It was a mess. He's in a Christian church, big church, growing church. It's very popular. He said, uh, he said, I don't care what we do. I don't care what I got to do. He said, I'll do, he said, I'll get just as close as I can. I'll even sin. If it'll bring somebody into church. And I thought, you're proving my point, Hoss. We need to take a cue from some of these cults out here. Yeah. Instead of trying to be like the world, why can't we be okay? I mean, the Bible tells us to come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. The Bible tells us that we are in the world, but not of the world. We're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to talk different. We're going to think different. We're going to be different. And by the way, you can be different from the world and still reach the world. That's one of the craziest lies that we have accepted from Satan. The church has got to be just like the world to win the world. Well, guess what? If we're just like the world, the world wants to know why they need to do anything different than what they're already doing. But yet the devil's got so many churches blinded to that mentality, that common sense. They don't bother cults, though. They're okay with being different. They know they're different. Hmm. We could take a cue from them on that. In closing tonight, I want to take another opportunity just to 
give the purpose in studying the course. You might be wondering, preacher, why are you doing this? Why, why do we need to know all this? What are, we, what are we doing? Why can't we just open up the Bible and go through it and, 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 and just, just stick with that? Well, let me tell you, it's important for us to look at this subject. It's different than what we've done. But here's the thing. Here's what we need to know. We need to, there's three reasons why it's important for us to look into this. Number one, it's to awaken interest in the important task of missionary work among cults. It's to point out their error and lead them in a saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Here's the thing, y'all. They got souls. They got souls. They need to be saved. I watched a man, I watched a man in a debate one day. He was debating this cultist and... They got to this one point, they just started going in circles, and he just looked at me, he said, man, he said, here's my point. He said, just throw away the rest of it. He said, here's the point. I love you. Jesus loves you. You're in the middle of a cult, and I want to see you get out and get saved and get born again and see you in heaven one of these days. That's it. We need to know how to talk to people. Maybe you don't talk to people. You may, you may need to go all the way back to the basics and, and, and get, get some. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. you know, but if you talk to people, you're going to find people that believe anything and everything. And you find a, a, a Mormon that comes up to your door, or you find a Jehovah's Witnesses that comes to your door. And I'll tell you another one right down, right down, uh, not far down the road. I got a buddy uh, that lives down toward uh, Gastonia, and he, he sent me a thing the other day that somebody had put on his doorknob, and, uh, it, or it was either his house or maybe it was a friend's house, but uh, they, they had put on there that they were part of the worldwide church of God. So he had asked me, hey, what does the church of God believe? And I was giving him some things. He was like, no, that ain't this. And so he sent me that. And you know what it is? It is a 100% cult. I'm talking like just crazy things they believe. I'm talking like Mormon, Jehovah's Witness. I mean, they don't even, I mean, it's nothing going into to what we believe at all. It's not just a difference in a religion or a belief, it's, it's a whole nother system. And uh, we talked about it for a little bit. I was like, man, that's crazy. I said, if I saw that, I just thought church of God. I mean, we got a few differences, but uh, nothing like what these guys are doing. It's called the Worldwide Church of God. Anyways, it's interesting. It's not associated with the church of God, by the way. And we got these people everywhere. We got them everywhere. And we need to know how to talk to people. We need to know. And, and you're not going to be able to talk to nobody if you don't know the word. We have the truth. We need to be studying the truth more than they're studying a lie. And yet, as I preach Sunday morning, most of us are sitting around spiritually asleep, not doing anything. So that's number one. That's why it's important for us to look into the subject. Number two. We need to be able to point out the flaws in the various cult systems and provide scriptural answers to them. You need to be able to. You never know what that response may, be, may, may do to somebody, that God may use that to convict their hearts or use that to, to put something in their, their mind when they lay down at night. 
You never know. But I know one thing, if you don't know what to say and you don't know what the, the truth is, you're not going to be able to tell them anything. Number three, here's the thing, to familiarize ourselves with the great truths of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may see the heritage of the Christian faith and be, here it is, y'all. Here's my goal for tonight. Y'all want why, why I come in here and why do I talk about all this? Why did I give you these reasons? Why did it seem kind of mean? Well, I mean, that's how I felt about it when I was studying it. When God was pointing it out to me, I thought, man, here's what it did. It challenged me. Which is why point number three is this. So that we would be challenged to live more effectively and witness for the Savior. So we could be challenged to be the Christians that God would have us to be. We need to know. Y'all, it's more than coming to church and sitting in a pew three days a week. Two days, three times a week. It's a lot more. As I said Sunday evening, Christian, Christianity means something. And we need to get back to biblical Christianity. Amen. Let's stand by our heads, close our eyes. Miss Dawn, come play softly for us.